welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 355. Refused to surrender any of their plenary powers. That means the mayor has the authority to do most anything King Roderick himself can do. Grant titles, raise an army, coin money, levy taxes. Thrape shook his head sharply. Ah, I forgot what I'm doing he said as he began to search his pockets. I received a letter from him only yesterday. He produced a piece of paper, unfolded it, then cleared his throat and read. I know you are knee-deep in poets and musicians out there, and I am rather in need of a young man who is good with words. I cannot find anyone to suit me here in Severin, and everything said I would prefer the best. He should be good with words above all, perhaps a musician of some sort. After that, I would desire him to be clever, well-spoken, mannerly, educated, and discreet. On reading this list, you may see why I have had no luck finding such a one for myself. If you happen to know a man of this rare sort, encourage him to call on me. I would tell you what use I intend to put him to, but the matter is of a private nature. Thrape studied the letter for a moment or two. It goes on for a bit. Then he says, As to the matter I mentioned before, I am in some haste. If there is no one suitable in Imra, please send me a letter by post. If you happen to send someone my way, encourage him to make speed. Thrape's eyes scanned the paper for a moment more. His lips moved silently. That's all of it he said finally, and tucked it back into a pocket. What do you think? You do me a great... Yes, yes. He waved a hand impatiently. You're flattered. Skip all that. He leaned forward seriously. Will you do it? Will your studies... He made a dismissive gesture westward toward the university. Permit an absence of a season or so? I cleared my throat. I've actually been considering taking my studies abroad for a time. The Count burst into a wide grin and thumped the arm of his chair. Good, he laughed. I thought I was going to have to pry you out of your precious university like a penny from a dead shim's fist. This is a wonderful opportunity, you realize. Once in a lifetime, really. He gave me a sly wink. Besides, a young man like yourself would be hard-pressed to find a better patron than a man who's richer than the King of Vint. There's some truth to that, I admitted aloud. Silently, I thought, could I hope for better assistance in my search for the emir? And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. Could there be a better snare for Quoth? As we've mentioned, and as is made clear on the page, it's very, very convenient timing. It that feels almost too perfect. Yeah, exactly. Once Quoth has decided that it's time to take some time away, he finally clues into the fact that everybody is telling him to take some time off. What should fall into his lap? But this little uh, opportunity. Okay, all that to say, and I do think that it is like outrageously convenient that he needs this specific kind of person and that for some reason it has to be a guy. Like, I find that to be extremely convenient. But on the other side of that coin is that Quoth has already 
been sort of wasting his time for what feels like at least a week, if not more, post-admissions. So maybe this isn't like right on the nose, perfect timing. Like maybe if this had happened like directly after he was like, nope, not going to do admissions. If it had happened like right after that, then that would have been too coincidental. But because it's been some time, maybe it's not. Uh, That's a good point, Jordana. It maybe feels like it's immediate, but there has been a little bit of time passed since he's made this decision. So perhaps it's not quite so. So neat and tidy. I would like to state that I am not on the fence on this one, though. Like, this is super duper suspicious, and I will get off my fence and and state that. I just wanted to say that there is another possibility. I don't believe it, but I'm saying it's there. So you're saying that red is sus? Let's call an emergency meeting. (laughs) Even I, who am loath to read too much into anything as being the work of some kind of sinister conspiracy on the part of the author even i am having a hard time buying that this all just fell into quotes slap this easily but i think that one explanation for it is simply that rothfuss needs to get him out of town and get him somewhere else that feels too lazy for rothfuss rothfuss is not that lazy never underestimate the laziness of a writer (laughs) yeah (laughs) sometimes the writer just needs something to happen yeah that's right Fine. If that is in fact what's happening, I judge Rothfuss for his laziness in this moment. I think he's so (laughs) meticulous in so many other ways that we could excuse him this one bit of hand wavering. You're telling me that they're allowed to make mistakes now, Jeremy? No, I can't accept that. I've never said authors can't make mistakes. (laughs) I'm kidding. I think I'm very funny. Clearly Nick agrees. Get on the bandwagon, Jeremy. Oh, no! No! I'm Like Winnie the Pooh to a pot of honey. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm gonna have to summon an EMT because someone has been seriously burned. (laughs) Oh. Oh man. I like that you summon an EMT like some kind of like sorcerer. You don't just call one. You summon that. Well, once you're a podcaster, they teach you the summoning spells. Back to the page, though. I think it's a little bit. I don't know, sus. It's it's something that the ancient families refused to surrender their plenary powers, and so the mayor has always had the same rights as King Roderick. He can grant titles, raise an army, coin money, levy taxes. That seems like the kind of thing that if you were a king, you wouldn't suffer to remain because that's a pretty clear and present threat to your authority. If there's somebody with essentially equal rights to the serfs on the land, that means that the serfs will have, A, will have divided loyalties, and B, that this family is in a position to be more powerful than the king. That seems like the kind of thing that once you declare yourself king, you don't suffer to exist. So I find it hard to believe that this family has remained this powerful all this time. But also, you know, as as Jeremy is fond of pointing out, kings in medieval Europe were historically very weak. Well, it depended where you went and what time you're looking at. But there are lots of examples. I think like three in the afternoon. Get out of here. Like in England, for example, especially after Magna Carta, the monarch was relatively weak, depend you know, compared to say places where power was more centralized in the monarchy. But even in France, which was like the most powerful and wealthy 
kingdom in medieval Europe by, in a lot of ways. There was like a guy in in Brittany, the the French, the sort of French speaking part of Northern Europe called Brittany, who was in name the Duke of Brittany, but had the powers that a king had, and like ostensibly he owed fealty to the King of France, but in a lot of ways he was the King of Brittany in all of in all but name, and then tried to make it official, uh, and you know caused a lot of problems. So like these kinds of uneasy gray area dynastic relationships where like you don't want to poke the bear because it's going to start too much trouble so you let the you let it lie uh did happen magna carta is the one that has all the metal powers right yes yes that's correct uh that's the well actually it, it was it was like magna carta was what took away the king's uh control of metal um it was actually uh, something that his daughter did where she made all the all the people who had superpowers like not have superpowers anymore uh, because the lords felt that he'd become too up-jumped. But then they like retconned it a few, a few centuries later. What are you two talking about? <laughs> it's a, f- a famous document called the Magneto Carta, Jordana. It, it's a very complicated. Oh. Yeah. Okay, I thought it had something to do with Magneto, but then there was like that daughter thing. Yeah, Magneto's daughter, the Scarlet Witch, said no more mutants and erased uh, the powers of 99% of all the mutants on Earth. I didn't know yeah. she did that. Did they retcon House of M away? Spoilers, Jeremy. Jeremy. Well, I mean, the House of M was the alternate reality that she created at the behest of her brother, uh, Quicksilver. But the the no more mutants semi-genocide that she did on the mutants has has since been retconned away. Not like all at once. Like that still happened, but other things have happened since in the Marvel Universe that have allowed new mutants to be born and depowered mutants to get their powers back. Oh boy. So back to the fiction that we're reading. <laughs> on the previous page, Thrape describes the mayor as being kind of a genial like friendly guy who's like not too stuck up considering the difference in rank between the two of them. And I think that his letter bears that out. His letter is written in a very chummy fashion. You know, he's not using formal language, Mm, but he's not, he's not exactly casual either. Uh, I would describe him as casual. I would feel comfortable assigning that descriptor to this passage. Hmm. I think it's also, like it, it is. It feels less casual because it is sort of fitting with the the lingo of the timeline or the guest at timeline of the story. So it feels formal because we're not used to that way of speaking. But I would say because that is sort of the norm. Yeah, exactly. He talks like an arist. He writes like an aristocrat, but he's writing to an aristocrat in such a way that he doesn't. He feels like he's talking to a peer, not uh, a vassal. Hmm. Yeah, he's not commanding anything. He's asking a favor, and it's very clear that like he isn't being like, "I need this from you, and you need to provide it to me." That's not what's yeah. happening here. Yeah, it's it's hardly even a favor. It's really just like I wonder at the stakes for Thrape and for the mayor. It could be that the mayor is asking all of his correspondents the same thing. Maybe he's got a few other people who are also involved in the arts, uh, or it could be a honeypot. As we've said, it could be specifically crafted to snare Quoth. Yeah, and that does, that certainly doesn't mean that Thrape is in on it. You know, if it is a honeypot, the mayor might have said, okay, I know Thrape knows Quoth, so I'm going to write him a personal ad that pretty much exactly matches Quoth's description and let him come to that conclusion on his own. Actually, speaking of this personal ad, 
at, at, at the end of him saying, like, this is what I need. And he's like, oh, well, like, if you maybe you understand why it's so hard for me to find something, someone like this. But if you actually break it down, I don't think it would be that hard. So clever, well-spoken is up, up for debate. But mannerly, like, I mean, most people in a monarchy probably sort of setting. Uh, well, I think that's where his status as an aristocrat comes in. Like when he's saying like well-spoken, mannerly and educated, he's talking about like class signifiers, right? But he wants someone who is a musician, which is an occupation for people of common birth who have to like get jobs to have, right? So he wants someone who is poor enough that he'll he'll be willing to take money to do a job, but well-mannered enough that he could that he can interact with aristocratic society. So that is kind of a unique skill set. And also being discreet, able to keep your mouth shut. And we know why Quoth like has to be discreet above all else, right? Because what the mayor wants for him to do is be like a Cyrano de Bergerac, right? He wants to help him court a lady. Ooh, I don't know what a Cyrano de Bergerac is, but that sounds very fancy. Is it a novel or a play? It's a no- It's one of those two things where an ugly man who is hopelessly in love with a beautiful woman is hired by a handsome man to make the woman fall in love with the handsome man by writing her like beautiful poetry. Lovely. Yeah, I thought that too. Mm-hmm. I, it's I, also worth pointing out a- that Thrape uh, mm. drops kind of a casual racial slur. Where? When he says... I thought I was going to have to pry you out of your precious university like a penny from a dead shim's fist. Oh, shim! So that refers to the yeah. the Shaldish people and the kind of stereotype that the Shaldish people are good with money and greedy. Mm. I don't think Thrape ha- has any like ill feelings towards Shaldish people, but I think that this is just a phrase that's in the lexicon that is, uh, ha- you know, racially insensitive, but Thrape doesn't like think about it. You know, reasonable. We have a letter today. This letter is from Kevin, who writes on underrated scenes. Dear Pagers, I've been enjoying your podcast for years now and just wanted to say how much I enjoy the close reading and analysis you all do. There are several scenes in these books that may seem simple at first glance, but are actually full of subtle meaning. One scene in particular that recently impressed me was the introduction of Puppet to Quoth. Much of what Puppet says here can be taken many different ways, but I hadn't realized that until hearing your different perspectives and opinions. You gave me a lot to think about on those pages. I now consider that an underrated scene in Wise Man's Fear. I have a few favorite scenes from these two books that I think of as underrated because they rarely come up in discussions I've had or read in online forums. One that's still to come, though quite a ways off still, is the conversation in Levenshire with the healer Gran. I love the frank discussion about hard choices doctors have to make with when hesitation will only make things worse, and the vulnerable moment Quoth has in his interaction with a character we only meet once. It's a scene that really sticks with me, and I always find myself rereading it or pausing and thinking it over for a while. Do you have any favorite scenes you consider underrated? Thanks for all your work on the podcast. Signed, Kevin. That's a hard question. I admit to forgetting about that scene until you mentioned it. At first I went, what? There's a Gran? And then I remembered, you know, oh yeah, she has, she talks about why people might respect a uh, a witch or why they might nod along when there's some superstition, but how there's uh, actual medical advice hidden behind the superstition. 
a lot of the time. Hmm. But it is a good scene. And I look forward to it now. I had completely forgotten about it. I think it, it's forgotten because it doesn't seem to have much bearing on the wider story. But uh, it's definitely, it's clearly important or it wouldn't be put front and center. The most obvious reason it's front and center is that Gran is a Chandrian. She's a Grandrian, you might say. <laughs> are there any other scenes that you think are underrated faves? Hmm. I, I think I'm like real basic on this one. I think all the scenes that I really like are the scenes that everybody really likes, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm my favorite scene in the whole book is the Kithea scene where Quoth, you know, meets and talks with the Kithea. And uh, if I may say so, reading that chapter aloud to Jordana was, I think, the moment I decided it would make a good podcast because <laughs> we had such a good time reading it together and talking about it. But I think if I had to pick a scene that's like an underrated gem, it would be the scene where Quoth basically does his graduation ceremony in front of the Adem and he fails to beat any of them on the hill, but still impresses them. I mean, I like any scene with Auri in it. So if there's any underrated Auri scenes, those are the ones I like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still think about the scene in Wise Man's Fear, I mean, in um, Name of the Wind, where Bast, you know, threatens Chronicler with, with awful, awful things if he doesn't do as he's damn well told. I don't think that's underrated, though. I feel like people talk about that one. That's the thing. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But like, it's like, it's certainly not like, I don't know. It's not relevant to like the plot of what's happening to Quoth, really. It's just like, I like it because of the sharp reversal of what has up until now seemed like a pretty harmless kind of fun character has all this like hidden stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Very well. We could have hidden stuff going on ourselves on tomorrow's page. Of the way.